Brothers, it's good to be with you again today as we have this great opportunity to sit under God's Word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41 today as we continue the story of Joseph. And and let me just say, uh, for me personally, this time to sit and soak in in the end of Genesis and look at the life of Joseph has has been very valuable to me. Um, In fact, it's been moving to me in many ways. I, I was speaking with a friend the other day. And he was asking about uh, what was going on in my life, what was going on in the life of our church and relationships and our city in this country. Um, and I told him, I said, listen, I'm not, I'm not a spiritual warfare guy. Um, I'm not usually the guy that says, oh yeah, this is spiritual warfare. I'm, I may be a little too slow to that actually. But I would have to say um, that what we're experiencing now in our country in our city, in relationships, even within our church, um, is, a, is a spiritual battle like I don't think I've experienced in over two decades. I think I've shared that before, and I, I feel that more, more strongly as the days and the weeks go by. And that's why I'm so thankful for God's Word in general and our study together in particular. And I'm thankful that we're going to get to look at the wisdom of God displayed in the life of Joseph today. That it really is God's wisdom for all times. Certainly wisdom that God gave Joseph for the difficult time that he faced. And it's wisdom for the time that we're facing right now. And we need God's wisdom, don't we? And so as we look at the life of Joseph, we see all the trauma, the injustice, the the turmoil, the the seeming... uh, um, uh, the the seeming tragedy after tragedy, loss after loss, and yet you look at the life of Joseph and you see a man cultivated uh, with a heart for God and and clear wisdom. Uh, This is for us a blessing uh, to sit under this uh, this day. So with that in mind, would you uh, join with me and follow along as I read Genesis chapter 41 uh, verses 1 through 36. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who can interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretations. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dream to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. 
Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and quickly brought him out, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when they had shaved, when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came out after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one could have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke, and I saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered and thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh... Select a discerning wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve in the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit here before your word, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would work with power by your word. Teach us, Father. It is a bizarre time. The spiritual battle is great. We are spread out from each other even, Father. We, we are here sitting under your word, but we're, but we're in our homes, we're in our offices, we're in small groups. Heavenly Father, your spirit is powerful and it can work. And you've promised that your word will not return void. We need your wisdom, Father. So we would ask that you would give it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here in your notes that I have divided the text um, into three sections, all having to do with God's wisdom. Because we've seen in the life of Joseph his reliance upon God's wisdom. And God has has given wisdom to Joseph. We've seen it through the, the interpretation of these dreams. God has given Joseph dreams before he was sold into slavery, dreams about what was to happen to him. Uh, as far as uh, 
leading his brothers, being over his brothers. And there were two dreams there. Then there were two dreams, uh, as we saw in chapter 40, when he was put in prison uh, because of Potiphar's wife's false accusation. And there in prison, uh, he met this cupbearer and baker. They each had a dream. And God gave wisdom for, for Joseph to interpret the dream. And now God's going to give wisdom again for Joseph to interpret the dream of the dreams, the two dreams of Pharaoh. But we notice in Joseph's life that he has, he has been operating by God's wisdom the whole time. And what Joseph does here in chapter 41 is a great roadmap for us, even as we have God's wisdom full and rich right before us. And so I want us to see that as we study these 36 verses together. First of all, I want us to see just right there in, in the very first phrase, verse 1 and just the first half of verse 1, I want us to see what it means to, to, to trust God's wisdom and to see Joseph trusting God's wisdom. The phrase we, are, we see there is just this, after two whole years. And I know if you were paying attention to uh, Barton last week, you, you recognize he, he almost um, uh, taught... Uh, all that I wanted to say here, um, but thankful he focused on what God was doing during these two years. Uh, I want us to see uh, Joseph's perspective as he trusts God during these two years. Uh, brothers, that's a long time. That's a long time to wait in injustice. That's a long time uh, to deal um, with the issue of trust, frankly. And, you know, as Joseph was trusting God's wisdom, he he had to trust the timing of God's wisdom. Barton talked about that last week. And that's hard for us to do sometimes too, isn't it? The timing of God's uh, wisdom was that uh, it would be two years before the cupbearer would remember, uh, conveniently, um, remember Joseph. And Joseph had to trust that timing and just had to wait upon the Lord. Not only that, Trusting God's wisdom had to do with location. So it wasn't just a matter of timing, it was also a matter of location. And the location in which Joseph had to, to trust God's wisdom was not necessarily a pleasant one. He remained in prison. In fact, later on, down there in verse 14, it talks about bringing Joseph up out of the pit. So this wasn't a pleasant place for him to be. And not only that, not only the timing and the location, but it was also a matter of, of trusting God's wisdom in the midst of difficult circumstances. Uh, he was in prison. That was the place, but he was there in the context of, of being unjustly accused, um, unjustly convicted, uh, unjustly treated, and now forgotten. Um, he sought to help someone, and in the midst of trying to help someone, he was completely forgotten. They're like, hey, thanks, Joseph. Good work. Um, we'll see you later, and I'm probably not going to remember you. Well, that was the circumstances that he had to deal with. It's tough, isn't it, for us? We know God. We know God's wisdom is best. We know God's timing is best. But it is hard sometimes to trust the wisdom of God when we feel like the timing isn't happening on our timing. It can happen when we pray for. Uh, a child, uh, um, whether to, to actually have a child, Lord, please give us children. It can, also, it can also be tough when we're praying for a child to come to the Lord or to walk with the Lord or a grandchild. A grandchild. 
And we're like, God, your timing is killing me. But God calls us to trust his wisdom as he doles it out in the life of, of, of our, our children, our grandchildren, but also as he orchestrates what he needs to do in this world, as Barton said last week, in order to save his people, in order to bring himself glory. Trusting his timing, trusting his location. Some of us are not thankful for our location and we're wondering, God, I've been praying, I've been asking, I've been serving. Why am I in this place? Or our circumstances. Father, why that fractured relationship? And why am I treated unjustly? And why can't these things be fixed? And why am I struggling uh, to be marginalized or struggling in joblessness or whatever it is? Or your timing. It's been two years. It's been three years. It's been five years. It's been 10 years. Trusting God's wisdom, knowing that God's wisdom is better than our wisdom. God's timing is better than our timing. God's location for us is better than our choosing of a location for us. God's circumstances that he allows us to to live in are better than the ones we would choose for ourselves. Will we trust God's wisdom in dealing with us, dealing with our families? Joseph did. Joseph trusted God's wisdom, God's sovereignty in this place. Well, then secondly, I want us to see Joseph declaring God's wisdom. We see that in, in really the, the, the main section, the main um, uh, center of chapter 41, verses 1b through verse 32, really verse 31, that uh, Joseph here declares God's wisdom. And I, you'll notice in the notes, I've divided up our, our looking at this um, by some of the phrases that are there in the verses. These are some key phrases for us. I think, first of all, there in verse 8, um, as, as Pharaoh has awoken from these two dreams, uh, it says that in the morning, his spirit was troubled. His spirit was deeply troubled. Pharaoh wakes up and, and he just... this. He's undone by this, and he has to have an answer. He's got to get this figured out. So what does he do? Pharaoh does what he only thing he knows how to do. He pursue earthly wisdom. And so uh, he goes ahead and says, I'm going to call all the magicians, all the wise men. Uh, these are the people that are going to give me uh, an explanation of what's going on. And we don't know exactly how it went other than that they couldn't interpret it. Um, but I'm sure, imagine they're trying to apply their their magic, their, their earthly way of dealing with things uh, to these dreams. But of course, this is a revelation from God. Pharaoh here is stuck in that moment of just, of just not knowing. Uh, I imagine that if he, were, uh, if he were living in our time right now, maybe instead of calling the magicians and calling the wise men, he might have turned on CNN or turned on Fox or, or Googled, you know, seven, seven cows fat cows eating seven thin cows, or seven thin cows eating seven fat cows, um, that, uh, that he would have maybe gone to his Facebook friends and looked for articles, whatever. It would have been earthly wisdom. It would have been uh, the wisdom of the day. You know, brothers, we're in very troubled times right now, and uh, we're feeling it. We're feeling it all over the place. We're feeling it even the tensions in our own families, uh, in our own our hearts, our own hearts. 
The world is troubled. Our nation is troubled. This month, um, these next few weeks, I know, for many of us, are, are, feel troublesome. And you know, I've, as I've watched even Christian brothers and sisters, I've, I've been concerned at something that we're doing that honestly is a lot like Pharaoh. And that is, I think we're, we're drawing earthly conclusions based on earthly frameworks. And then we're trying to fix these problems, um, whether it has to do with politics or the future of our country or certain um, policies in our country or things in our city or tensions like racial tensions. and all. We're trying to fix these things using earthly weapons. And so as we go move through this time in our history, um, we're just using earthly stuff to try to figure it out. And then earthly applications in order to fix it. And you know what? We're, we're remaining troubled. In fact, we're getting more and more troubled as a result of that. But God's Word has given us the wisdom that we need. God's Word has shown us the weapons we're supposed to fight with. As we think of a spiritual battle, there, there are things that, that we're called to do. And, and God has given us wisdom here. We have it. We don't need to Google these things. There's nothing wrong with Googling, nothing wrong with being, um, with reading broadly. I certainly believe that and do that myself. There's nothing wrong with being aware of the different arguments that exist. There's nothing wrong with watching the news. But when we are setting the course of our lives or our family's lives or even our worldview is being set by earthly structures and earthly wisdom, I just have to say, brothers, what are we doing? We don't have to do that. We don't have to be troubled by conflicting reports. No, God has given us uh, wisdom. What is, what, and we could go so many places here. I, I just have, I've been soaking in a couple of places in regards to the spiritual warfare and all the things that we're dealing with. One of them is Philippians chapter 4. And I've been reading this over and over again, meditating on this, because I think it's so important, even for the way that we interact with each other. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. And think about the times we're in right now and the tensions we feel right now. Think about these next few weeks leading up to the election and even after the election. And then think about it in the framework of this wisdom. Verse 4, Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be reasonable. Let, let the fact that you can reason well be known, and that you're a reasonable person. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's go on. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things you have learned from and received from and heard from in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
There's another passage I want us to, to read right now. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1. I've been thinking about these verses. In the context in which we live, we find ourselves right now. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. We are not to be those who are afraid. We are not, as it says in Philippians, to be those who are anxious. Instead, we are to seek the peace that comes from God, from His wisdom. And we have not been given a Holy Spirit that stirs up in us fear. No, we have been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So in the midst of being troubled and people troubled around us, we want to operate with the wisdom that God has given us. We want to begin by declaring that wisdom to our own hearts. So we'd say that, declare God's wisdom, but start by declaring God's wisdom to our own hearts. Let's not immediately jump and start telling other people what they should do. Let's start with ourselves. What does God's wisdom have to say to us? Clearly, Joseph was a man who did this because he didn't get troubled in times when he ought to have been troubled. He was trusting God's wisdom. He was declaring God's wisdom. Well, he goes on to declare it verbally in a pretty, honestly, terrifying place. Um, you know, it says there that, hey, call Joseph, get him up here. So Joseph goes just in an instant from being in the pit, being in prison, and the next thing you know, they have pretty much changed his appearance because as a Hebrew, he would have grown his beard and he would have looked like a Hebrew. Um, he would have chosen probably to do that, to, to connect with his ethnicity. He, he then all of a sudden instantly is thrown in a context where he is uh, made to look Egyptian and put before Pharaoh. That's a, probably a frightening moment. And yet, in that moment, he was ready to declare the wisdom of God. Probably the, the most profound verse or phrase in the whole chapter for me, or at least in the 36 verses we're looking at, is that response by Joseph in verse 16. Pharaoh says, hey, I've heard it said you can interpret dreams. And Joseph, right away, first words out of his mouth, actually first word in Hebrew, it's just one word. It's translated for us in verse 16, it is not in me. And it's an exclamation. It's emphatic. And like I said in Hebrew, it is one word. Joseph wants to be clear to Pharaoh right off the bat. This is not my gift. This wisdom is not from me. I'm not just a smart person. I'm not clever. I'm not wise. I don't want any credit. He was saying this to someone who not only believed in many gods, but someone who himself thought he was a god. Pharaoh thought he was a god. So the declaration by Joseph to declare God's wisdom was bold and courageous. It certainly was giving glory to God. But he was wanting to Pharaoh, who himself was thought of as a god, who thought of himself as a god. He wanted Pharaoh to know, this is not in me. 
I'm not going to take credit for this. And you know, God's wisdom in our own lives, in our family's lives, in the life of our church, it really does begin with declaring that it is God and not us. It's not our, we're not the ones that have figured it out. We're not the ones that are clever. It is God's wisdom. It is God who brings wisdom. It is not us. Sometimes in the arguments and discussions that have occurred recently among brothers, uh, brothers in Christ, disagreeing, I've seen stirred up this idea that, that somebody thinks that they're more clever or they have a, a corner of the truth on this. And, and it may be, it may be that they have, have stumbled correctly on the right thing. But I've, but I've often been disappointed that the starting point is not a declaration that we've got to go to God's wisdom and it's not in us. We're not going to find the answers in ourselves. We're going to find the answers because God gives the answers, because it's coming from Him. You know, the great book of wisdom in the Old Testament is obviously the book of Proverbs. Uh, many of you know that they're um, great fathers of the faith, uh, and including Billy Graham. Besides whatever else they read uh, for their personal quiet time, personal devotions uh, during, uh, on any given day, they also read the proverb corresponding with that day of the month. And so if it's, you know, the 21st of October, you read Proverbs 21. And we find God's wisdom there. But we also find this in, in chapter 9, verse 10, a verse I'm sure is familiar to you. The fear of the Lord is, beginning, is the beginning of wisdom. Being in awe of who God is, is where wisdom starts. And clearly, Joseph was more in awe of Yahweh than he was of Pharaoh who sat in front of him. He feared more in the, in the right way what God thought of him than what this God-like person, according to their culture, thought of him. The fear of the Lord's starting point was understanding it's not in me. I, I don't have it. But you know what? God does. And God will give it to you. God has an answer for you. And then lastly, or thirdly, I'd say, we see uh, in, in verse 25, as Joseph there begins to, to tell the dream and tell what the dream is about, um, we see this phrase, verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh. And then also, again, it says in verse 28, God has shown to Pharaoh. God has revealed. God has shown. We've already established that, the, that for Joseph in his time, uh, he didn't have the written word of God. But God, by His grace, when people have not have, have uh, His word before them, God has still chosen to reveal Himself. And of course, we know, unless God were re to reveal Himself, we would have never known God. Because in our own sinful brokenness, we can't find God. It's only as God reveals Himself that we would ever know God. Which is why it's such a blessing to have God's word. Because this is God's revelation to us. He is showing us. This is God revealing himself to us as God reveals himself to Pharaoh. This is God showing us as even as he showed himself to Pharaoh. Now again, Joseph experienced this in dreams that God had for him. But for us, it's the word of God. 
And we have something so much better than dreams. I know sometimes we think, oh, if I could just dream, if God would just do this kind of stuff, I'd know His will. If God would just give me dreams, if He'd give me some interpretations, maybe a Joseph in my life, tell me what that crazy dream was last night, then I would know. I felt that way too, brothers. But we have God's Word. We can study it, read it. That's why you guys are so encouraging to me. You men are so encouraging me that you would be committed to study God's Word in depth. I've told you this before, but it's, it's, it, it, it strengthens my faith to know that there's 120, 130 of you out there who are sitting with your Bibles open, sitting with your notes by you, and you're writing these things down and you're studying God's Word because this is the wisdom of God. You're declaring it to yourself so that you can declare it to your families and declare it to this world. And to do so, as God has revealed Himself, not making up what we want God to say or what we think God ought to say. Remember, Joseph doesn't do that. He didn't do that. You Barton pointed that out last week. He didn't do that with the, with the cupbearer and the baker, even though the baker had bad news. No, he was going to speak God's truth as God has revealed it to him. Well, what has been revealed to us for our time? Again, we looking at this and understanding the life of Joseph, but also saying, well, this is God's wisdom. This word of God is God's wisdom for all time, not just for Joseph's time. It's also God's wisdom for our time. What about, what about all this political turmoil? What about all this tension that exists in our nation? What about some feeling on one side that, that the, the political path that we're on right now is just full of injustice and in, inflamed racism and is dangerous for human flourishing for a certain segment of our population? And then the other side, um, saying, oh, no, no, um, if, we, if, we, if we steer from this path, then, then we put lives at risk, unborn lives at risk. We, uh, uh, this, this, this path has to, we've got to stay on it because if we go the wrong direction, if we change directions, then human flourishing is going to be wiped out. We're going to be put in a new kind of governmental system, uh, Marxism or socialism that's going to, Put, it, put us in a place where we lose all our religious liberties and all. Okay, what? Let's not apply earthly wisdom and let's not filter this through earthly structures. Let's apply God's wisdom. What does God's wisdom have to say about what's before us? Well, I can think of a couple places. I'd love for you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm speaking ultimately about Jesus. I want you to see what it says. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, you have here earthly kings, earthly leaders saying, we want nothing to do with God. We don't want to be bound by what God is doing. We want to do our own thing. What does it say in verse 4? Speaking of God, it says this, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them as wrath, terrifying them as fury, saying, As for me, God is speaking, God the Father, as for me, I've set up my king. That's Jesus Christ. I've set up my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, this is now Christ speaking, uh, you uh, are God speaking. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's speaking of Jesus. Ask of me, Christ, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Brothers, according to God's wisdom, we don't need to fear what happens on November 3rd. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't vote your conscience. I'm not saying how to vote at all. I am saying this, that whatever happens on November 3rd or after November 3rd, you and I do not have to fear. Because no matter what happens, no matter who sets themselves up against God in whatever category, God in heaven laughs and says, oh, 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 no, no, no. I'm going to give the nations of this world as an inheritance to my son. Now, the timing may not be what you want, but I will accomplish what I intend to do. So now, how do we live in that context? Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, the, the new church is just beginning. And Peter and uh, um John have been out preaching the gospel, and that has disturbed the leaders. And so they've, they've imprisoned them, they've beat them, they've, they've said, listen, we'll release you, but you cannot preach anymore. We are going to restrict your religious liberty. What do God's people do? Well, look what it says in chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, so what did they do? They prayed. And what did they pray? It said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so what do they say? They're saying, listen, we know God's in charge. No matter who is on the throne of the earthly government, we know who's in charge, and we're appealing to you, and we're trusting in you. Look what it says in verse 29. What do they pray? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your service servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Brothers, that just gives me chills. In the face of pretty significant spiritual persecution and threat of their own lives, certainly their own property, what did they do? They prayed. They sought God's wisdom by going to Psalm 2. They claimed the truths of Psalm 2 as the, as the wisdom in which they were going to rest. 
And then they took that to prayer to God. And in their prayers, they didn't ask God to alleviate their pain or alleviate their suffering or free them from that. What did they say? No, make us bold. Make us bold to proclaim your glory. And you do work, Father. You you heal and, and restore. And as they were praying, it says the place was shaken. That is declaring the wisdom of God. Declaring the wisdom of God in prayer, declaring the wisdom of God in the assembly of believers, declaring the wisdom of God in the world, declaring the wisdom of God in the face of, of whatever is thrown in that by earthly powers. This is declaring God's wisdom. And finally, brothers, we see in verses 33, really, yeah, 33 through 36, we see here Joseph calling Pharaoh to act on God's wisdom. I love what Barton said last week, and you, you saw it too in, in chapter 39. There is this uh, trust that, God, uh, that Joseph has in, in God's wisdom. Uh, there is a faith that Joseph has, as, as Barton talked about it. But he uses uh, the reason God has given him, uh, the mind God has given him, and he applies his faith. Uh, and so he's saying to, to, um, to Pharaoh, hey, listen, Pharaoh, God has shown you, God has revealed, and now in verse 34, so let's Pharaoh proceed. You know, let's, let's, let's get going. It's, it's, go- it's time to act. It's time to go forward. It's time to do something. Well, what about God's wisdom for our time? We've, we've just read it. We've seen it displayed here. We, we read already uh, in our time of study here, Philippians 4, 2 Timothy 1. We, we read Psalm 2. We read um, Acts 4, speaking about Psalm 2, how to apply it. What about us? What about God's wisdom for our time? What are we being called to do? How do we act? Well, at least we know this from God's Word. We're not supposed to fear, and we're not supposed to be anxious. Not only that, We're supposed to pray God's word. We're supposed to, instead of being anxious, we're supposed to take everything to him in prayer. And as described in Acts 4, we're to pray God's word and claim his promises. And when we act in the world, we learned from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 4 that we have the power in us to to face anything. We have love and we have self-control and we have the fruit of the Spirit. And those things are how we are supposed to act in this world. You know, when I was in college, my group of friends, the guys I hung out with, we lived on the same hall um, uh, in the dorm and uh, had, had rooms near each other. And I can't remember which guy came up with this. It's such a goofy college thing, but I'll never forget it. Um, we decided that part of the pack of our friendship would be um, this thing we called a, a let's go. And the deal was this, that any time during this semester, each of us was, uh, was given one let's go. And that just meant this, that at any time during the semester, I could declare to all of us who were friends, um, let's go downtown. Uh, let's go grab something to eat. Um, you know, let's go jump in the lake, whatever. And without question, our group of friends, everyone had to take action. If Todd said, if that was his let's go, we had to do it. Well, we had some interesting let's go. And some of them really took it to extreme. I remember coming back uh, to, after studying, it was 11 o'clock at night. Um, I was in school up, up in Chattanooga, Lookout Mountain. 
And uh, my friend Lee looked at me and looked at the other guys and said, guys, let's go to Atlanta. And we were like, Lee, man, is this your let's go or are you just joking? He's like, no, this is my let's go. And you know what? 11.15 at night, we got in the car, we drove to Atlanta. Um, and uh, thankfully, nothing, nothing debaucherous, nothing terrible happened that night. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't do anything sinful. Um, but we were there in Atlanta all night long and, uh, and then drove back for class the next morning. Um, crazy, crazy college stuff. But you know what? I've never forgotten that let's go because I've thought about it in the context of, of wisdom and, and what God gives us. Um, we need to respond like that. We need to respond like the disciples did when Jesus said, come follow me. And it says they dropped their nets and they followed him. We need to respond to God's wisdom when we read it by just doing it, by just going. And we need to be doing that at this time, especially in, in, in this context, in this spiritual battle. You know, one other passage that has been on my mind a lot, and I'll close with this. Ephesians chapter 6, I know many of you know this, talks about the fact that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the person across the table from us. It's not against the person across the room from us. No, it says that our struggle is against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the, the spiritual forces of evil in the cosmic realms. It is a spiritual battle. And as we face what I think is the most intense spiritual battle I've experienced in the last two decades, what is God's Word calling us to do? <laughs> it's calling us to trust God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. And it's calling us to declare God's wisdom first to ourselves and then to each other. And it's calling us to act on God's wisdom. Let's go, brothers. Let's go and live in our city and display the love and the self-control. Display the peace of God. Display a radical life that does not have to use earthly wisdom and earthly structures and earthly frameworks but can trust that God is in control, can trust that God is in His heavens. He's on the throne. May God give us grace to act in His wisdom. Amen.